People always say to write about stuff you know. But what do you do when you drag up things from your mind's weirdest reaches? Hello all, this thought originally comes from 3 o'clock in the morning on war call between obstetric cases. A reminder again, this thought may come mid-shift, but this writing occurs outside of work. No lives are harmed, potentially harmed, or placed at risk. And no procrastination took place for actual clinical duties. Just the usual standard amount of procrastination that happens in daily life. Tis the holiday season, and tis my second year spending them in Australia. My most recent holiday memories were working Christmas Day, having endless home-baked goods from multiple hospital departments, and having friend get-togethers between shifts. Having a single Christmas potluck last year made a world of difference, and keeping busy away from home sweet home Canada helps keep Christmas nostalgia, memories of Canadian winter, and that of experiencing more than one season at bay. Everyone has their holiday movie marathons. You've got your Santa Clauses and Tim Allens, your Polar Expresses and Tom Hanks's, your White Christmases, Holiday Inns and Grinches. Take your pick between Carr, Loft, Carely, or uh, Cumberbatch. Heck, Christmas movies are such an industry, it's a continuous battle between the Hallmark Network and the W Channel, dedicating almost 24-hour daily production of new holiday movies of various qualities. Netflix only got into the game with gusto in the past two years, but has similar movies with similar vibes with Single All the Way, Jingle Jangle Christmas, and one I'm only remembering right now as the Vanessa Hudgens twin triplet um, Euro-American <laughs> royalty movie. I really difficult to tell which is which, except that they're all Vanessa Hudgens in a semi-different accent. Um, again, Netflix, please don't take this down. Um, point being, the market isn't short of choice. Out of all of these, how do they become favorites? In the end, quirkiness and quality writing, in the case of Die Hard, yes, 100% a Christmas movie. Repetition in the golden era of TV and movies to become mainstays, a la Grinch, Charlie Brown Christmas, and Holiday Inn. Or a special place in individual families' hearts. For my family, we spend each year going through holiday movies to the point we've come full circle again and again watching all of them. We go through movies at a rapid clip, finishing the regular movie list earlier and earlier each year. We've reached the point that we've created a bingo system, honestly, for any Hallmark movie, akin to taking a shot for every mention of kind of stereotypical or cliche moments. For example, the line, Christmas is my favorite time of year, or snow on Christmas being a major plot point, or who could forget the insert I need a Christmas date slash partners go to insert family event here. Through this method, we've gone through too many that just don't make the cut, and others that retain a special weirdness to them that we consistently go back to it. Main kind of weird example, there is a movie out there that features Mario Lopez and Melissa Joan Hart, a.k.a. Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Entire plot? She kidnaps him as a holiday date, only for a pseudo-Stockholm-esque syndrome scenario to take place by the movie's end. Not a joke. It's also called Holiday in Handcuffs. Also not a joke. But that's a story for another day. Main point, it took a good amount of uniqueness for a movie to make its way into our holiday roster. The most surprising one of them is today's topic. A film so bad it's good, a film that I constantly find new outstanding details on repeat viewings, and has reached notoriety levels like The Room, Troll 2, and, dare I say, Neil Breen trilogy movies. Again, more on him another time. Once again, it was 3am on Obstetric Ward Call. 
There's a helicopter dropping patients off on the roof, and I grab my second of two coffees. So why the hell am I thinking about the 1996 Arnold Schwarzenegger hit movie, Jingle All the Way? Merry Christmas, Langston residents! Hi, I... Ted? Howard! Hey, buddy! How's it going out there? Everything okay? Yeah, fine. Uh, Ted, I need to speak to Liz. Uh, could you get... Mm. Oh! Howard, excuse me. But your wife's cookies are out of this world. What a... Who told you you can eat my cookies? I'm just helping Liz out a little in the kitchen. She's making up a storm here. Ted, I need to speak to my wife. So could you get her on the phone, please? I think she's in the shower, Howard. Do you want me to go check? No! I mean, no, that's fine. On your way out, just tell her it would be a few minutes late, but you shouldn't worry. Oh, she won't worry. I mean, I'm here and... Mm. Oh, these cookies! I gotta get the recipe from Liz. Put that cookie down! Now! Jingle All the Way is an original story based off a screenplay by Randy Cornfield. May his name have been infamy. It tells the tale of an overworked mattress salesman, Howard Langston, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, of course, who in typical Christmas fashion works too hard and ends up neglecting his son, played by Jake Lloyd, one of two major roles he played aside from Anakin Skywalker in the first Star Wars Episode One movie. The only way to earn his affection back? Buying him the new superhero action figure, Turbo Man. Or, as we'll continuously know through the movie, with very terrible accents, Turbo Man. One problem. It's Christmas Eve already, and he has to run through the city endlessly searching for it, with real-time shots for about a quarter of the movie of watching Arnold sprint through Atlanta, Georgia. Seems like stay at Christmas fair, right? Ticks off quite a few boxes on the bingo card. At what point does it diverge? At what point does this thing stand out in the minds of many? To start off, my memory behind this movie, especially finding it, is foggy. Part of me believes it was found in a Walmart holiday movie bundle, you know those big kind of massive boxes that are on for discount, two DVD sets with catchy titles like Adventurous Saturday Night Inn, or exciting sci-fi bundle that you've never heard of. The original funky Netflix categories. Part of me thinks my dad originally saw a Christmas movie with a young Arnold Schwarzenegger on the cover and knew exactly what could be expected. Other part of me knew that he threw caution to the wind and was like, Arnold Christmas movie, let's give it a shot. Regardless, this DVD is set continuously reused since that day. What sets this apart in the end from the rest? And way, way early mention for a spoiler alert if anyone wants to go into this epiphany without any hints, which I would highly recommend because it's a separate experience entirely. First point, this is a 90s movie trying to be a 90s comedy as well as a Christmas movie. To start off though, what are we defining as a 90s comedy? We go back to the beginning of the 90s, you've got the tail end of the 80s with big famous parodies, hot off the heels of Hot Shots Part 2, Top Secret, and Airplane. At the time, a shift had begun in comedy acting, especially with new casting of Saturday Night Live in North America gaining more and more traction. Because of that, famous characters and famous skits were offered more kind of movies to start off. But the one true defining one was Wayne's World with Mike Myers and Dana Carvey. The goal at the time, seemingly simple, but was ingenious. High joke volume or joke to down joke ratio, high amount of references in the movie that people could identify with, and aiming to create highly quotable lines that people could use over and over again. 
At the time, again, wasn't part of the actual plan for the Coil of Alliance, but you knew it took off when you get a original Kurt Cobain pre-show at Nirvana concert shouting out uh, Wayne's World Party On Excellent at the beginning. You've got many different actors that have characters in their back pocket, honing them for years at a time, fine-tuned and retuned through practice in many iterations. Such the power of many character comedians, turning your variability and dissociation into a role into acting chops. Flip side of the coin, you have the straight man. Comedian or not, pick an actor known for seriousness or convincing the public of a serious character. Think Jason Bateman, think Steve Martin in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, think Jonah Hill to a degree in Get Into the Greek. At this time, you got many different different creative styles coming to the forefront with many different actors trying to make it big. Um, original movie with comedy cranked up to the nth degree, um, like the Billy Madisons with Adam Sandler, um, and anything Jim Carrey did initially. Kicking off very packed 90s crews for both of them, Billy Madison kicking off Adam Sandler to culminate in a Happy Gilmore slash creating Happy Madison Productions, his own comedy company. Jim Carrey, on the other hand, had to really start and stuffed early 90s with The Mask, Dumb and Dumber, and um, multiple different others to name a few. You have more spoofs with Airplane 2, a lot of different sequels coming out from that time, and Austin Powers cranking in the late 90s. You have other SNL big names trying to make names for himself, Eddie Murphy kicking off with uh, Coming to America, John Candy with multiple different movies, John Hughes finally building off his early 80s success and starting to create more classics like Home Alone and Home Alone 2. Um, other ones with, again, Jason, Jim Carrey loading the decade with Ace Venturia, Dumb and Dumber, and closing it out in more dramatic roles like Truman Show and Man on the Moon. Because of this boom of creativity and household names by the end of it, every studio is trying to keep up with this between trying to keep up with these creative measures, find their own original IPs, imitating the success of these now classic films, and in the end, turning profit. Mid-90s, it was a mixture of all of the above. So what attempts can come out of this? An industry desperate to maintain attention and relevance? Some try one thing at a time. Others, in our case today, try everything at once. Jingle All The Way has your baseline kind of set up. You have a household name actor who dipped his toes into comedy, previously with Kindergarten Cop with Arnold Schwarzenegger, previously also known for, again, actions movies with the Terminator series and True Lies. The man, if anything, is game when it comes to the old college try and tries in earnest to pull up a mixture of the straight man and overactive comedian at the same time. You have Sinbad, a stand-up comedian making his rounds through sitcoms as the rival mailman Marin in the movie, acting as the foil in the dark future half of Arnold's characters when he became estranged from his son after years of neglecting Christmas. Rounding out the cast, you have Jake Lloyd as his son, Jamie, Rita Wilson as Arnold's exasperated wife, and the late and great Phil Harbin, the rival uh, next-door neighbor with suspicious ulterior motives, which I will touch upon. Plots established? Great. Now we cram in every single possible opportunity for slapstick and physical comedy. I don't understate the amounts of threats, of physical violence, or having physical violence as the payoff in this movie is countless, especially in many attempts to force 
slapstick comedy. And almost every conflict in this movie is solved by violence in a weird, physical Rube Goldberg-esque escalation. There's an entire scene where Arnold, for a solid minute, is sprinting after an old lady in a car, trying to break down the windows and take the toy he wants. There's a scene where a crowd just dogpiles him when he has the lucky lottery ticket to win a toy. And let's not forget, there is an entire scene, five minutes constant, with a joke about a bomb threat, almost kicking the joke horse dry, but to a very surreal sense in a pre-90s fashion. The scene I'd like to focus on as a culmination of all this effort involves Arnie meeting, I would call, the Christmas gift cartel. Let's set the scene. We have Arnold in despair, not finding his toy. Cue entry of, I call Criminal Santa, aka Jim Belushi, and his goateed elf sidekick. Offers him the toy on the down low. How, you may ask? Show him a picture? Sure. What's in the picture? Holding this toy at, how would you call it, knife point? Gunpoint? Wrench point? Whatever threat's a toy? The threat's unclear, but it's a weird kidnapping scenario of a toy. Q travel scene to a warehouse, guarded by Santas with attack dogs, and manned by different department source Santas, all chain-smoking, by the way, making bootleg toys. As expected, per formula, Arnie catches on. What would our next logical thought be in our understanding of this movie? Kidnapping ransom of him? Sure. Get him to enter their Amazon trade? Yeah. Well, I'm glad you guessed one of those, because it's Arnie versus 50-odd model Santas and elves in an all-out brawl. You have Santa's backflipping. You have swinging candy cane nunchucks, which... Weird theme through this movie as well. Dogpiling him. Vern Troyer, actor who played Minnie Me, appears in this movie for 30 seconds, only to be punched across a room. And how did this scene end? Closure? Sure. Call it a sting operation when the SWAT team breaks down the warehouse doors, arrests everyone, and Arnold fakes being a cop to get out. This movie kind of continually begs to ask, what the fuck? And keep giving you new reasons to ask it. So, in summary, best standout point number one. Intentionally overstuffed script with jokes. And what feels like five comedy movies for this, like fighting for dominance. Giving the experience a weird kind of fever dream quality to it in the best possible way. Second point, in use of comedic energy. On paper, this movie's script is straightforward. Having many sensible people react incredulously, for example, that Arnold is trying to find a popular toy on Christmas Eve. Yeah, fair enough. The difference in, is in the direction, which I feel is simply giving every actor free reign to react every emotion to the extreme. Up until this point, I witnessed Arnold act in essentially Terminator and True Lies, like I mentioned, so I didn't know how the man expressed more than stoic emotions. The wondrous thing is that he never remained stoic, but there's an underlying intensity behind every single thing he does that he wants to show that makes you believe him, but also be afraid at the same time. Happiness? Sure. Watch this man shout and cheer at the top of his lungs, unblinking eyes and a wide smile for probably a good 30 seconds that you wonder if he's actually breathing. Ask him to remember something? Prepare to remember just as vividly. Say, Arnie, how do you remember how to name all of Santa's reindeer? Help me! You can't just ask a dancer, Bronson Vixen, comic Cupid, Donna Blitz. What? Uh, yeah, you see, I couldn't get through on the phone. 
Surprise or shock? The best. When you usually focus on someone's face for a comedic double take, it's one of those quick zooms from feet away, right? Just like, bow, right in their face. Jingle all the way rules. Cue fast dolly zoom from across two and a half rooms. Dining room, kitchen, and living room. About 50 feet away, super speed, zooming in on Arnie's gate mouth. It's so long that you can almost see the cameraman dodging the other actors in the way. And as per the theme, back to the threats of physical violence. Definitely selling him as the strong man he is in real life, but it escalates way too quickly very fast. The man's intensity is palpable with every word he says, almost feeling like a threat, even if it means like it's happy sincere. My favorite part of all this is old school Arnie makes a lot of, I'll call it Arnie onomatopoeia. A lot of noises you wouldn't expect from him, but fit perfectly if you think about it too long. This only became evident after repeat viewings, mostly because we are still trying to process the sheer number of them with the continuous grunts, jerks, and quote unquote, one of my favorite ones, yahs when he's falling down. Using the correct moments, plan-wise to the extreme, but always to an insane scale. So for summary of standout point number two, insane scale of emotions, furthering the fever dream with the reaction. Third point, less a badge of honor. Things you can't get away with in 2021, or really ever. First point, probably evident by now, the five minute bomb threat humor. Aside from that, many scenes did not age well, but kind of, again, because of the time that passed since its premiere, as well as the context behind this insanity, it kind of still contributes to this dreamlike quality. Obvious one out of the way, won't dwell on it too long. Arnie doing kung fu moves with what he thinks are the right sound effects. I won't even play the sounds, you can imagine however you want. It's something to be experienced and I can never get it out of my head. Most of these moments, I return to our character, played by almost too convincingly as well, the late, great Phil Hartman, who I affectionately and literally call the character Divorced Dad Ted in terms of what the name sounds like. Picture in mind by the name alone, a character we expect that to be. Got it? Okay. Now, as much charisma as you could possibly imagine, the sweetest next-door neighbor a la Ned Flanders. You want this dad to convincingly be seen as a knight in shining armor. Sounds perfect, right? Great. Now drench the character in slime. Single motivation for this guy that is not hidden behind any subtlety. Hooking up with all the moms, single and not, in the cul-de-sac in which this entire town lives. Tried so many times to be played for laughs at the plot, and character-wise acted amazingly, but Provides another, say it with me now, what the fuck moment, in that this character existed in the context. Hashtag 90s humor, hashtag references, but still. Phil Harmon selling him believably the facade of bravado and cheerfulness, underscored by the evolving creep stare that no one picks up on, except for Arnie, of course. Hence, putting that cookie down. Second point. Marin, Sinbad's character. The foil of our story, like we mentioned before, the second dad, the future version of Arnold's character that he doesn't want to be. He views the world out to get him. 
Which brings us to two things you can't get away with. Him being the forefront of the multiple bomb threats, including the five-minute joke. Did not mention there are more than one bomb threat joke outside of that five minutes, but that's played consistently. Second one, the amount of neglected child endangerment this man puts kids through. Case in point, a lot of scenes with him dangling children off buildings in which everyone, including cops, are like, oh, haha, it's acting, woo. So, stand point number three. Cringe, fueling the fever dream, but nothing you can get away with beyond this movie alone. So, if you stayed with me this whole time, you've picked up a good general vibe of this film. Probably asking yourself now, okay, this aimed to be a comedy, designed to be a Christmas movie, try to get deeper effects in between. Still begging the question, the original one, why have you obsessed about this at 3 o'clock in the morning? I think this boils down to family tradition at the end of this. And this is a bit of a vamp copy at this point, from the heart. An argument can be made, call it the reverse to Hyde Hard argument, similar to crowd people actively campaigning for Die Hard as a Christmas movie. There may be an equal amount passionately advocating that Jingle All the Way doesn't necessarily have a movie category, but still could be a Christmas or comedy movie. It's a mix of the traditional Christmas tale on paper, active effort to imitate 90s comedies in practice, while weaving in the deeper messages about the dangers of capitalism at Christmas, to all end on a note that is pseudo-wholesome at the end, but makes you wonder, okay, where is our moral thematically? It boils down to it, I think, it's that these points are window dressing for me. And it boils down to Vin Diesel levels of family tradition and reminiscence of a pre-pandemic holiday of yore. I miss tradition. I miss seeing my family every single year. I miss having a good solid month of snow mixed with Christmas, buying stuff in person, going back home to Ottawa, skating on the canal, reminiscing of the family nights where we continuously watch movies, both in and outside of Christmas. Movies were a huge part of my growing up in terms of bonding, making family moments, and some of the major memories I've made throughout the entire time, and reliving them every single year through these movies has been a huge part of it. Um, there's the fact of the COVID pandemic, which is affecting everyone, and many expats can agree it's been a long time. It's been a long separation. It's been a long, 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 long intense duration of not being able to see everyone you want to see. I'm kind of glad that we're at the point that we are getting Queensland alone almost 90% first dose vaccination, past 80% double dose vaccination. I'm vaccinated. Everyone should get vaccinated, honestly. Not in terms of, it's not a choice argument, but it's, it comes down to making sure we try and get a new sense of normal as best we can, because we're not going to go back to that old normal. We're making a new, almost hopefully better war normal in the context we have. With borders finally opening up, I look forward to 2022 to finally let me meet up with everyone I need and want to meet again. Reconnect through more than Zoom calls, face-to-face -face people I've not talked to in eons. While eating Christmas cookies, of course. And face-to-face, -face, telling each other to put that cookie down. Or, should I say, put that cookie down. So, 
accent aside, in one sentence, why am I obsessed? I miss Belanger family weirdness. And this gives me at least part of the magic every year. Sissa, that's the wander. Merry Christmas and happy holidays. Quick shout out near the end. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. This is the shout out portion where I highlight something wholesome, whether it be a group, project, or charity. This episode is dedicated to shouting out Third Space. Everyone needs a home for the holidays, and there are many that won't have one. Third Space, with number three, is a charity near where I live in Australia, daytime drop-in center where people experiencing or at risk of homelessness find support, friendship, and dignity, helping thousands of people every year through having showers, cafe-style meals, access to medical treatments, mental health, allied health, lawyers, advocacy, tenancy, and other services, and trying to break that cycle of homelessness through forming relationships, building trust, and providing home in a place of safety. It's been serving at least this community from what I've seen for the past 40 years. I hope it continues to serve longer. Please check them out if you want more information at thirdspace3rdspace.org.au. If you want more information, again, to get involved or donate to their cause. Second quick shout out, because I think I've only briefly touched upon it. Shout out again to Henry Howard, me, uh, my uh, guy I met in my UQ cohort, and then my cohort, who's also a doctor, and is giving up half his salary to public chosen charities every single year. Um, I'll pass the link below, but he's doing a good level of wholesomeness, especially at this time of year. Other than that, thank you for sticking around and listening to my mind wander. Today's episode was unofficially sponsored by Candy Cane Nunchucks, Terboman, Phil Hartman, and the Joys of Family. If you have any questions you think I could obsess about spontaneously, send me a message through my main account or long requests through my blog, Instagram or otherwise. As always, I'm not perfect, and this will always be an ongoing conversation with you. By this time of year, Merry Christmas, Happy Christmas, Happy New Year, Merry New Year, Happy Holidays, um, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy Hanukkah. I can keep on going. Stay safe out there, and enjoy, uh, enjoy everybody you love. See you next time.